How the hell are you, America? How the hell are you? Episode 35. If, if you take 70, divide it by two, that's where we're at. We're at 35. Meaning, if we do 35 more shows, we'll be at episode 70. What the fuck are you talking about, Nick? I don't know. I never know what I'm talking about. As so many of you have pointed out to me, have been so sweet to me in pointing out how little I know on social media. I love it. I love it. I, I do have a question for Republicans. I do have a question. We had primary debates where Republican candidates said, hey, we want to unilaterally ban TikTok. China has infiltrated us. And I notice on TikTok, most of the people that comment are either Trumpers. uh, I, I don't want to necessarily call them Republicans, but they're Trumpers. And I'm curious. I don't think Don's weighed in on this, What he, how he feels about TikTok. He doesn't like China. We know that. We know that. But all of these, these, these mega folks that are after me on social media and they say negative things, do they want TikTok banned? Because it appears they're very comfortable with TikTok. They like TikTok. Do we want to ban things? I'm uh, just off on a tangent already. Already, and we're not even fucking two minutes into the show. What the hell's the matter with me? So I'm going to wrap up my Washington Husky talk here. But I, I want everyone to feel my pain. I want everyone across the country who listens to this to feel Husky Nation's pain. Okay? So last Monday, was it 10 days ago now? No, nine days ago, we were in the national championship game. And I I honestly, I thought we were going to beat Michigan. I thought the matchup was favorable for us. I thought we were going to beat fucking Michigan. Damn it. We didn't. So the ecstasy, just you know, and then, oh, the heartbrokenness of, of losing and just the, the whole week in the, the buildup leading up to the national championship game. How excited you were about Washington football. How excited you were going forward with the program. It's in great hands with Kalen DeBoer. And then on Thursday, we're still licking our freaking wounds. And on Thursday, we learn that Kalen DeBoer, our beloved head coach of two years, who's got a 25-2 and record as the Husky coach, is leaving Montlake for Tuscaloosa, Alabama. You want to talk about high highs. And low lows. Holy moly, Husky Nation. Did we just go through high highs and low lows? I, I don't even know what to say about it. It's it's crazy. And you know, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. But listening this week to what has gone on, we know that Kalen DeBoer had a huge contract on the table pre-Thanksgiving. Pre-Thanksgiving. Before the Apple Cup was played. And he did not sign it. Follow me on this conspiracy theory. This huge conspiracy theory. I know I'm anti-conspiracy theory. And so he doesn't sign this contract. He's got the same agent as Nick Saban does. Thanks a lot, Nick. Thanks a lot, Nick. Damn it. Just kept your job another year. We'd have our football coach. They've got the same agent. So my conspiracy theory is this. Is it really a conspiracy theory? DeBoer's agent said, hey, Kalen, 
you don't, hey, you want to sign the contract, we'll sign the contract. But just letting you know, I have a client in Tuscaloosa, um, arguably the best job in sports, definitely the best job in college sports. It's probably, it's 90% going to become available. So you can hold off on signing that because I truly believe that you would be one of the top three candidates, two or three candidates to succeed Nick Saban if you're willing to wait. Now, if they choose somebody else or Nick Saban decides at the last second he's he's staying, no biggie, you sign the contract. So it sounds like the conspiracy theorist that Nick the American is that Thanksgiving time, DeBoer knew Saban was probably thinking about calling it quits. And he didn't need to sign the contract. He could wait and see if the Alabama job, you know, presented itself. And I, Husky fans, it sucks because everyone's, you know, boy, we felt like the Washington State Cougars this last week. Like, just, we're just not good enough. We were, you know, you know, we weren't a cute enough girl. DeBoer left us for a, a better looking girl over there in Tuscaloosa in the Alabama Crimson Tide. And we just have to tell ourselves, we have to understand, Bama is the best job in college football. Bar none, period, no ifs, ands, buts about it. And so good on Kalen DeBoer. Good on Kalen DeBoer. And wait, at least if, you know, your, your wife's going to leave you, your husband's going to leave you, at, at least have them leave you for a 10. And that is what DeBoer did. He left us for a 10. We're about an eight and a half. And that's just the way it goes. That is just the way it goes. Now, let me speak to the folks in Tuscaloosa, Alabama for a second. I know there's a lot of people in Washington pissed off at DeBoer and not wishing him well. And I'm telling you folks, I love Steve Sarkeesian. I'd take DeBoer over Sarkeesian. I... Lane Kiffin's a good coach. He's obviously got something. He's got Mississippi football to a point where they've never, ever been. Hotty toddy, baby. He's, he's got them rolling. But this job in Alabama, this coach, Kalen DeBoer, this, this job in Alabama succeeding Saban sounds like a death trap, except for one guy, Crimson Tide fans. You guys got the guy. I truly believe Kalen DeBoer is going to take Alabama and he's going to take that offense and he's going to be able to help Milrow. And he's not going to be slanging the ball deep down the field like he was with Penix, but I promise you, he's going to take Milrow's strengths, which there are a lot of. And he's going to highlight them and he's going to get the tide rolling. I'm not so sure any other coach in the country would have been a better hire. And I know. There's a lot of Bama fans that are like, you know, they don't want DeBoer. They don't want this small-time college coach that was up coaching in the Pacific Northwest. I'm telling you, Crimson Tide fans, you got the guy. Husky fans, we feel so heartbroken because we lost the guy. Now, we just hired a guy named Jed Fish. I don't know what the hell to make of it. Hell, none of us knew what to make of Kalen DeBoer. Nobody was, you know, overly, you know, excited about Kalen DeBoer. So the Husky Nation, we've got Jedfish. We'll see how it all goes. But uh, just can you imagine? Monday, we're in the national title, and we believe we are going to win. Thursday, we're coachless in Seattle, 
and we feel like the sky is literally caving in on us, falling down. So it was a hell of a week in football in general. Seahawks coach Pete Carroll by Jody Allen, Paul Allen's sister, fired his ass, fired his ass. We saw Bill Belichick, the greatest coach in the history of all coaches, step down or get let go or whatever the hell happened in New England. Now, Belichick's already interviewing for other jobs. Could Belichick be the Cowboys coach if they let McCarthy go? I think he just interviewed at Atlanta. He's interviewing and legendary coach Bill Belichick will be back probably on the sidelines somewhere. And, and hey, to give Bill his props here, you know, there's always this Brady-Belichick debate. Who deserves more credit? Who gives a shit? It, it's, it's a partnership. It's a marriage. They both deserve a ton of credit. If Bill Belichick would have been coaching 40 years ago, 50 years ago, a la, a la uh, uh, Vince Lombardi, we'd be calling it the Belichick Trophy. It would be it would be the Bill Belichick Trophy, not the Vince Lombardi Trophy. So that you know that's how effective this dude was. But uh, yeah, yeah, Saban, Carroll, Belichick, some I mean iconic coaches. And we don't even know about Harbaugh yet. The only thing we know about Jim Harbaugh, I told him to pump the brakes. I told him to stay in Michigan. He's interviewing. He just interviewed in Atlanta. He's interviewed in San Diego. He'll probably, excuse me, San Diego, L.A. Chargers. Forgive me. He'll probably interview with the Raiders. Can Maybe the Seahawks. I don't know. I know, boy, Jim Harbaugh is hated here from his San Francisco days. Uh, didn't help that he kicked our ass in the national championship game, uh, you know, a few days back. Could he be the Seattle Seahawks coach? Could he be the Seahawks coach? Maybe, maybe it'll, it'll all be fun to see how it shakes out. And you, you can bet your ass, baby. We'll cover it on Nick, the American. Cause that's what we do. We cover stuff, you know, we cover stuff, but, uh, two takeaways from the NFL playoffs really quick, really quick. I told you, I, I'm not a prognosticator. I'm not going to break down X's and O's too much, but I just I want to talk about the Eagles for a second and what the fuck happened to the Philadelphia Eagles. I, I, I'm in shock. I believe they were 10 and one, and I was watching like on Sunday Night Football. I'm, I'm watching this Eagle team operate. Jalen Hurts, who I've pumped up on the show a couple times, who I love to death. I'm looking at their swag. Nick Sirianni, their head football coach, is walking the sidelines at 10-1. and 1, And I'm like, that dude has it. That's what I was thinking to myself. I'm like, they have got it rolling in Philly. They just were in the Super Bowl, uh, played a really good football game, lost to a great Chiefs team in Pat Mahomes. And it certainly looked like they were going to be back. They looked unstoppable in some ways. They lost seven of their last eight games, not even thinkable. This playoff game against Tampa Bay was one of the most pathetic efforts I've ever fucking seen. And I'm sure the Philadelphia Eagle fans are beside themselves. They played a so-so Tampa team, and it looked like they did not want to be there. Jalen Hurts has looked like last several weeks, looked so disinterested. Where did Nick Sirianni's swag go? Could he lose his job over this? 10-1, and one, I'm watching him walk the sidelines, and I'm just just gushing in admiration, going, man, this dude has it. The Philadelphia Eagles 
What an epic collapse. What an epic collapse. And the other collapse I want to discuss is the Dallas Cowboys. The Dallas Cowboys. And uh, they got smacked by the Green Bay Packers. Maybe Jordan Love has figured it out. Maybe Dan Quinn, the defensive coordinator, got really out-schemed by uh, Matt LaFleur, the head coach of the Green Bay Packers. Green Bay's offense could not be stopped. Jordan Love could not be stopped. It was wide-open player after wide-open player making big plays. Couldn't stop the running game. And they kept showing poor Jerry. Poor Jerry. And I love to root against Jerry Jones. I love to root against Jerry Jones. I, I was I was, I was, was on business in Texas listening to Texas radio one time, and uh, a Texas sportscaster had Jerry Jones on and told him that if if he wasn't the owner of the team and he was just the GM like he is, he would have been fired three or four times, and Jerry got up and walked out. That's true. Jerry Jones has not been a great GM post his Cowboy Super Bowl run, two with Jimmy and, and, and one with Barry Switzer. Okay. But I want to take a step back for a second. You know, everyone likes to make fun of Jerry or root against Jerry. Jerry's 81 years old. And in some ways, I want Jerry to go to the Super Bowl. I know how bad Jerry wants it. It, it, it is so apparent to me. And I can feel that through the TV. I can I can feel it when I listen to Jerry Jones talk. And so I, I know this is crazy. I was rooting for the Packers. I was happy as hell that they got smacked. But a part of me is sad. This billionaire owner, here I feel bad for, this billionaire owner, He he's 81 years old. This man is tireless in terms of his work ethic. Going after one more ring. Can he get his Dallas Cowboys back to the show? And he has been so unsuccessful for 25 years. Just absolutely shitting all over himself. But I got to take my hat off to Jerry Jones and his work ethic and his ambition Part of me wants you to, to, to experience the top of the mountain one more time. Now, maybe that's only 8% of me, 8% of me. But there is a little bit of me that wants to see Jerry Jones, all his hard work pay off. Maybe, maybe. All right. Trump wins Iowa. We know that. Trump has won Iowa with 51% of the caucus vote, uh, like 56 thousand votes total they had awful weather we've gone through a whole midwestern just kind of united states cold front blizzards everywhere i know my business i can't ship out product right now in memphis because we're snowed in but uh how do you look at this how do you look at this trump mopped the floor with DeSantos and haley and and vivek okay Vivek has dropped out. So has Asia Hutchinson, the former governor of Arkansas. But uh, how do you view this? One, you can view it as a landslide and Trump is inevitable. I guess the, the other way, glass half full, glass half empty, you could look at this and say, hey, Trump got like 56,000 votes. There was like 53,000 and change that were cast for another Republican. Half of the Republicans essentially didn't vote for Trump. Now, we've got New Hampshire in less than a week. We see that Nikki Haley 
even though she finished third, is really close to Trump. New Hampshire is going to be much tighter. She's going to pick up some delegates. Now, Nikki called this a a two-person race. And a lot of people were scratching their heads saying, hey, Nikki, you finished third. How is it a two-person race? And Nikki's looking, I believe, at the next two contests. DeSantos is, is running in single digits in New Hampshire. And because Iowa and New Hampshire are first, they carry weight. And they carry weight because donors are deciding who they're going to put money behind, who they're going to give money to. And if DeSantos gets 6% in New Hampshire, he's going to have donors drop off. His funds are going to dry off. He dry off, dry up, excuse me. Hey, you talk for 45 minutes and not fuck up. The funds are going to dry up. He's going to have to lay off campaign staff and his campaign is dead. Hey, guess what? If you don't sign that paycheck, all of a sudden those loyal workers, they're not so loyal anymore. Okay. So Nikki Haley's looking at New Hampshire as, as her, you know, as, as a big stand for her. She needs to, she needs to do well. Where do Vivek's votes go? Well, I bet they probably go to Trump. I don't know. It's going to be interesting. And and so it's funny. Trump has called out Trump during his campaign speech said that he'd won Iowa for the third time. And I just need to correct you, Don. That's a lie. You just you lied to your Iowa, your Iowa constituents. You won Iowa in 2020. You just won Iowa for the second time. But in 2016, Ted Cruz beat your ass in Iowa. Then you said Ted Cruz wasn't eligible to run. Tried to throw in the foreign link there. And then you also you demanded a recount, a revote, because there was voter fraud. 2016 in a Republican primary in Iowa, in the Iowa caucus, he said there was voter fraud. Of course he did. I've told you a million times, the man does not know how to lose. Now, we know just recently, Trump's been in the news with Nikki Haley. And he Trump wanted to remind us that Nikki Haley's name is Nimarada Randhawa. I didn't know Nikki Haley was Indian. Now, I, do I care? No, no. Her parents were born in India. Trump is trying to say, or he did say, he retweeted, that she's ineligible to become president, even though she was born in South Carolina. Okay, She's, she's completely eligible to run for president. But my point here, Trump wanted you to take a look at her Indian background. He wanted you to know that her name is Nimarada Randhawa. He figures that won't play well with constituents. Okay. Now, I just mentioned he did the same thing with Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz wasn't eligible. And we know before all of this, he did it with a former president, Barack Hussein Obama. He was not American. Trump had investigators on the ground in, in Hawaii finding incredible things and all of this bullshit. So Ted Cruz didn't beat Trump. It was voter fraud. Ted Cruz isn't eligible to run. Nikki Haley isn't eligible to run. Barack Obama isn't eligible to run. Trump's eligible. Trump wins if he wins. If he loses, he doesn't. And, and you know, I was reading the Drudge Report, and I was, I, was, I was watching some videos of some mega fans, and they're all decked out in their Trump gear. They're like Philadelphia Eagle fans or Denver Bronco fans or Dallas Cowboy fans. 
Their love for this man is uh, it's unconditional. Who do you have unconditional love for? If if your spouse cheats on you, do you have unconditional love for them? Trump can do anything, and these people will wear his shirts and wear his hats and claim voter fraud with no evidence and 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 on and on and on. So the loyalty, I gotta, I geez, shit, I gotta take my hat off to Trump. How did you hijack the Republican Party, take it from a party that used to constantly say, what would Reagan do? What would Reagan do? To completely, it's Trump's party and he can do what he wants with it and we'll just, we'll just deal with it. But uh, yeah, Trump's fans are like football fans. They are unconditionally loyal. No, football fans aren't unconditionally loyal. I'm sure the Eagle fans are ready to chop their heads off. That that that, that doesn't that's not happening with Trump. Now, is half the Republican electorate prob- uh, tr- you know, problematic for Trump? Is there an opening for someone like Nikki Haley? I don't know. I don't know. It depends how you look at it. He kicked everyone's ass in Iowa, but still, he didn't. You know, half of, half of Republican voters wanted somebody different. So. We'll keep an eye on that, and uh, we'll, we'll see where it goes. But Aris Targaryen, he will never accept defeat. And I have to pound this home to Republicans because he's done it in a presidential. He's done it in a Republican primary. He is certainly going to do it again. So, anyways. All right. Now, I'm getting a lot of comments on social media. I, I good, bad, indifferent. I appreciate everybody participating. That is wonderful. There was a comment, and I've heard this over and over. It's like a rote sentence from Republicans like Machine Gun Taylor Green and Donald Trump. That Trump is, excuse me, Biden is weaponizing the Department of Justice against Trump. These four indictments are a product of the Biden crime family. They are coming after Trump. Trump is Biden's main competition in the 2024 election. And so Trump is, excuse me, Biden is sicking Merrick Garland, the attorney general, sicking Jack Smith, this attorney that's coming after him with the the documents that that he held at Mar-a-Lago, the January 6th insurrection. This is all Joe Biden. This is all Joe Biden. And there was a comment in one of my in, in one of my feeds that uh, you know I something about you know Trump not believing in democracy and you know someone firing back at Nick the American. I mean, yeah, you don't fire back at Nick the American. You you shoot a squirt gun back at him, right? Be sweet to him. But that Biden is weaponizing the government, the Department of Justice against Donald Trump, so he can beat him. And, oh, how's that democracy? How's that democracy? And so, ladies and gentlemen, if Biden was directing Merrick Garland or Jack Smith, had anything to do with any of these indictments, I would love to know. Trust me, I want Biden out. I want Biden out. I want Biden out. Do you know how easy that would be to prove? There's things called texts, phone calls emails, documents, okay? 
how is Biden communicating with Merrick Garland to weaponize the DOJ? What specifically is he doing? Republicans, don't just say this rote sentence of Biden's weaponizing the DOJ against his number one political opponent, Donald Trump. Biden Biden did not pay Stormy Daniels $130,000 to shut her mouth two weeks before the election in 2016. Okay? Biden did not, you had nothing to do with the insurrection on January 6th. Biden didn't call up the Secretary of State of Georgia a Republican named Brad Raffsenberger, who then taped, taped the call because he's like, holy shit, this isn't good, for an hour and five minutes trying to get him just to simply overturn the election. Show me what Biden is doing. What is it? Maybe he's communicating with the DOJ via smoke signal or Morse code, and the Republicans haven't been able to crack it yet. When Trump was impeached the first time and the second time, all of his cabinet members were getting subpoenaed. They already, From the inspector general, they already had everything kind of written down of what had taken place with Zelensky. And I'm not going to get into all that. My point is, and no Republican followed the impeachment trials. There was, more ev- there, there was so much evidence. There was literally no defense for Trump other than, hey, eventually the Republicans in the Senate or the House, they're they'll vote not to impeach me, okay? They'll vote not to impeach me. He didn't need a defense, but all the evidence was there. It was so there. And I'm just asking Republicans, whether it be Hunter Biden or the weaponization of the DOJ, when are we going to see evidence? Or is this the exact same thing as the 2020 voter fraud? We were going to see the goods. We were going to see all the voter fraud. We saw nothing. In fact, actually, I just saw in the state of Virginia, they discounted Joe Biden's total by 4,000 votes. Trump got, Trump, uh, Biden got like 1,700 votes less than he should have. Trump got like 2,300 more votes than he should have for a total of 4,000 votes. And they credited Biden back with this. Can you imagine if it was reversed? And it doesn't matter. In a state that Trump won, Biden won Virginia. It wasn't, wasn't that close. He won it by half a million votes. If it was reversed, Trump would say, this is the evidence we need. <sighs> Prove that he's weaponizing the DOJ. He's not smoke signaling Merrick Garland. There's emails, texts. If they're in communication... If Joe Biden is directing in any way, shape, or form, I want to know about it because that's not the role of the president to go after his political opponents. That's not the role. We saw that in the impeachment of of Trump when he wanted Zelensky to go to the mic and attack his political opponent. And we saw all the evidence laid out. Give me evidence. This guy does not deal in evidence. He doesn't. Nikki Haley's not eligible to run. Ted Cruz is ineligible to run. He stole the, the, the primary. Obama's not a United States citizen, and I've got fucking private investigators on the ground in Hawaii, and I will give you the evidence soon. Oh, the 2020 election. It was fucking stolen, and I'll prove it to you at a later date. Okay. All right. 
Let's see. We're moving on. We're moving on on this fine Wednesday. Now, I see Bill O'Reilly's pissed off in Florida. Why is Bill O'Reilly, uh, you know, the, the, the Fox News pundit who left Fox? I think he paid like $38 million in like a sexual harassment lawsuit. They had him on tape. They, I mean, they had him dead to rights. He, he was kind of a sleazeball. The, uh, the no beloviating, the no spin zone, Bill O'Reilly, O'Reilly factor. Um, anyways, I don't know where the fuck I'm going with that. It's stupid, you know, because I'm stupid. Quit calling yourself stupid, Nick. You're not that dumb. Anyways, Bill had a couple of books that were put that that uh, in Florida. There's a book ban. Uh, Rhonda Santos had a book ban, and I've got to read a little bit more about it because I think book bans. It's it's one thing to ban curriculum, to say hey, we don't think this is appropriate. It's another thing to start banning books in schools, meaning libraries. Like you really want to ban Catcher in the Rye or of Mice and Men or. Or, or, or whatever, but Bill O'Reilly had two books. They weren't banned. They've been put on hold. And O'Reilly flipped out and said, this is overreach, and there needs to be some tweaks to this Florida book ban. He's all for protecting kids, but this has gone too far. And I'm sure <clears throat> whoever banned by, excuse me, uh, O'Reilly's book is probably is you know if they're a Republican they'll probably say oh my God I'm so sorry it was killing something called killing Jesus and killing Reagan were the two books that were put on hold and O'Reilly's a historian he was a former history teacher so I would like to read those books I think they would be interesting uh, I'm not totally against Billo but uh, my, my, I guess my point here is you know I don't like to ban anything and here we are in Florida banning books to protect children and I think I think. Banning books and and, and then curriculum, they're two different things. Taking books out of a library, to me, is absolutely ridiculous. Now, if you want oversight over curriculum and you want to fight over what should be taught, I'm not going to get into that mess. That's fine. But just banning books in schools is ridiculous. And, And I think the reason why is walk around from the age of nine on with iPhones. They've literally got the entire world. They got the black market if they want. They got Silk Road if they want. They've got anything they want at their fingertips. They've got porn. It's ridiculous. We're gonna ban books while this while little Johnny or little Susie's got the world at their fingertips. It just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And it just goes back to me saying, I'm not for bans. I don't want to ban the AR-15. I don't want to ban books. I don't want to ban abortion. I don't want to ban gender-affirming care. Okay? I want to give people choices. So, anyways. Interesting. We'll see what happens with Billo and his in his Killing Jesus and his Killing Reagan books. But, uh, yeah. Fun times. Fun times. Now... I saw an article that really got my blood boiling. State of California proposing measures to ban tackle football for, I think, 12 or 13-year-olds on down by 2029, citing CTE and, and concussions and you know how dangerous it is and they should be moving to flag football. And I have to tell you, I have I have three boys – Two of them have played tackle football 
you know, for most of their lives. I have a third that doesn't play. I played tackle football from the time I was seven years old to the time I was 19 years old. Okay. So this, this is personal to me. And I just talked about banning things. You want to ban tackle football because you're afraid a kid can get a concussion and it can cause long-term damage, which that's serious. That's serious. You want to take decisions away from the parents. You want to tell me that you have a right to an abortion. You have a right to gender-affirming care. You have choice, 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 but you don't have a choice with your 11-year-old son if they want to play tackle football or not. So I've been around youth football my entire life. Boy, <clears throat> excuse me, the last several years, Carter started playing, uh, my oldest, started playing football when he was seven or eight years old. And I used to tell my wife, you know, she was apprehensive. And I'd say, it's all about the kid. It is all about the kid. Carter was ready. He was tough. He was nasty. He um, didn't complain. He was ready for something like tackle football at a very young age. My middle son, Spencer, who today is a monster. He's working out every single day, doing select football. All he does is eat, sleep, shit football. It is his passion. It's all he wants to watch. It's all he wants to play. He's he's working out twice a day, okay? But Spencer was not ready like Carter. He wasn't. I never, I, I was, Spencer was, we, we got Spencer into flag football, and oh my God, he was bad. He was bad. Hell, I, I mean, people would say, is that your son? I'd say, no, that's not my son. Not my son. He has... So, so let me back up. Spencer started playing tackle football when he was about 10. He was ready. or He said he was ready. Now, it takes you a year or two to get acclimated to tackle football. So it took him a while. But he had this want to. He had this want to. He wasn't ready when he was 7 or 8 or 9. He was ready when he was 10, sort of. And he fell in love with it. And these were choices that me and my wife got to make. We got to decide Carter's ready. We got to decide Spencer's not ready. He's not ready right now. Brady, my old my, my youngest son, he is he, you know, Brady's 12 years old. Brady's not ready. Brady's not ready. I don't think Brady will ever be ready. I don't think Brady, I don't think tackle football is in Brady's future. Okay? How do we take that decision away from parents? Now, I, hey, I remember being at flag football games. I remember being at a flag football tournament where a kid broke his leg and a kid dislocated his elbow in one tournament, one tournament. Okay, I'm not kidding. Kids smack each other's face. Um, I know they, 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 they make them wear like little old school helmets now, but kids get hurt in flag football. Girls get hurt in soccer. If if you go to a little league football game, seven eight years old, I want to know whoever these fucking people are in California. If they're liberals, I oh man, I, I'm gonna come after you so damn hard. I, I saw, I read some names. I don't know what their political affiliation is, but if they're liberals, I'm gonna be ashamed because as I've told you, liberals to being liberal to me means choice. Means choice. I don't want the fucking government telling me what to do. I coach high school football now. I 
I go to all, I go to my kids, uh, little league practices. I, I, I've done it every, I've done everything. And I can tell you what, the game has never been safer ever than it is right now. High school football, we barely hit. It kills me sometimes. I'm this coach who wants to do Oklahoma drills and, and I want to get after it. I want to hit. That's, that's not on the agenda. That's not in the coaching plan. Kid, kids do not have to get nearly as physical as they used to get. Okay. If, if there's a collision, I mean, you pull those kids out and you have them take a walk. They don't go again. When I was growing up playing tackle football and I'm eight or nine years old, there's a collision. Boom. Do it again. Boom. Do it again. Boom. That does not, we kids barely hit now. And, and these people in California that want to ban this sport, I would like to go to a youth football game with them. And oftentimes, these are nothing more than glorified tickling contests. Okay? Glorified tickling contests. Yeah, they got helmets. They got shoulder pads. And they're going about negative two miles an hour. And they're just kind of running into each other. And then there's a fast kid. You toss it to, the, to, toss it to him on the outside. And he runs 70 yards untouched. You gotta give parents that choice to decide if their child is ready to play tackle football or not. Or I don't want my ch- child ever to play tackle football. And <clears throat> here's what I hear: I've heard this over and over and over again from from parents, from dads, from kids. My mom says that I can't play uh, tackle football till um, I'm in high school, and I'm like, oh, that is the best set of logic I've ever heard. I've ever heard. Don't play tackle football. And then when you're a freshman in high school, strap on that helmet, strap on those shoulder pads against kids that have been playing for five, six years and get your fucking face kicked in. And usually someone will say that to me and they're a baseball player. I want to play football, but my mom won't let me. And they've been playing select baseball since they were eight. And I'm like, can you imagine going onto a baseball field your freshman year in high school when you never played and saying, here you go, you're going to look like a fool. But at least you're not going to get your ass whipped. Football, you don't play until high school. You are going to get your face kicked in. It is an acclimation process. It's uncomfortable to wear a helmet, shoulder pads. You don't get to run around like you do on the playground at school with, with nothing on. It's an adjustment. It's an adjustment to hit a little bit, to sweat, to run around in 90-degree weather with a bunch of armor on. It takes kids. Good football players aren't good their first year. They got to acclimate, and that's what I tell all my boys that I coach. It takes a while to get acclimated. But let me say this over and over again. I'm going to look into this. Whoever these California politicians are, and Gavin Newsom, if this somehow got to your desk and you signed it, we'd have some serious fucking issues because I'm about choice. Show me the data where you're protecting kids. I watched an HBO Real Sports that showed girls' soccer is the most dangerous in terms of concussions. And I know, I, I, do they not let them head the ball anymore because of it or or, or what have you? But the, the, the whole point, my wife's name's Kimberly. My name is Nicholas. We 
will decide what is right for Carter, Spencer, and Brady when it comes to playing football or not playing football. Period. Jeez, Kenny the Hunter Paxton, you're going to start Nick the Hunter American. I'm going to start go uh, California, don't you dare. Don't you dare. Ridiculous. My goodness. I might have to vote for Trump. Pussy liberals in California. No, no tackle football. Who knows who's doing it? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's Republicans and Democrats. Yeah, my luck is probably bipartisan. All right. What am I going to talk about next? <clears throat> oh, so I, it's not vacation time. It's not vacation time. I know this. But I brought I, I, I brought up a topic to my family. Hey, what are we going to do for a vacation this year? And, you know, I'm not – we do a ton of things. We love Guimas Island and the San Juans and Dungeness crab fishing. We love Birch Bay. We like Ocean Shores. We love Westport. We've, we've been throughout Oregon. We, you know, Crater Lake and all that sort of stuff. But then, you know, we also like, you know, big-time family vacations. Last year we went to Cancun. We've done Disneyland like 15 damn times. Um, the year before last, the Griswold family, the Griswold family, we, I took them, we went to Vegas for like seven days. You want to talk about expensive, but fun, but fun. So I, I, I brought this up and I, I, I need I, like a, a poll question. I, Hey, mega, mega. I need help from you. You guys go on vacation, Republicans, Democrats, Whigs. I need help. Where do I take the family this year? Where do we go? You know, what, what do we start to plan? Does anybody have any ideas for Nick the American? And I can tell you what my wife wants to do. She wants to fly into Italy and basically kind of go backpacking all the way up to London. And I look at her and I'm like, I don't really want to spend $30,000 on a fucking vacation. Are you kidding me? Oh, it'll be so fun. Carter's 18 and this is our last big vacation. So I suggested, hey, well, let's fly into Boston and we'll go to Rhode Island and we'll, you know, up to Connecticut and we'll make our way all the way up to Maine. We'll uh, go illegally poach lobsters as a family. Maybe get arrested. I don't know. My oldest son, Carter, wants to go to Greenland. And I'm like, don't you know Greenland is really Iceland? You, you flippin' idiot. So... We've got this internal debate with the family, and I'm asking you, what should the Griswold family, what should Nick the American's family do for vacation this year? Does anybody have a special vacation that they can highlight that, that me and my wife should look into? So please help the Griswolds out. I would appreciate it. So, all right, you know, I've brought uh, I, five. I'm looking at 538.com, which is an amazing resource, by the way, if you're interested in electoral politics. It's the really the only place to go, in my opinion. You get every single poll. You can't look at one poll. You got to look at all the polls, yada, yada, yada. But we know that whether it's Nikki Haley, whether it's Ron DeSantis, whether it's Donald Trump, you know, you know a lot of the, they all hold leads against Biden. In, 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 in some polls. And that's alarming 
for a liberal Democrat like me, especially one who absolutely hates Trump, it's alarming to me that you know we're going we're going to put like our twelfth best player out in the field to go win the biggest football game that we've ever played in. So I see Biden has got the largest campaign war chest of any Democrat ever. So he's got a ton of money. All the money in the world isn't going to save Joe Biden. I've talked, he, he's been defined by America's youth as an old grandpa fuddy-duddy. And really, Democrat Democrats are more disgusted with Biden because of his age than Trump for his four indictments. Democrats are more disgusted with Biden because of his age than Republicans are with 19 different rape allegations against Donald Trump. What are we going to do with Biden? And so I am begging Jamie Harrison. I am begging the Democratic National Committee. I, I think I could become independent. I could leave the Democratic Party if Joe Biden is the nominee. Now, I would still vote for Joe Biden over Trump. I would do that. I would do that. I would never vote for Trump. I would never vote. I would vote for fucking Ted Cruz over Donald Trump. Okay. Gladly. Anybody but Aris Targaryen. Okay. What can we do about it? And I mentioned that the deadline is passed January 6th, I believe, to get on most states' uh, ballots. That time has passed. There's no one primarying Joe Biden. Joe Biden is going to have to show the Democratic Party that the Democratic Party is bigger than him. This is for the American people. He needs to step down at some point. And he's got this war chest like this giant treasure. And we need to go to the convention with Wes Moore, Roy Cooper, Andy Bashir, Gavin Newsom. Who am I missing? Who am I missing? Did I say Roy Cooper? I did say Roy Cooper. Oh, Pete Buttigieg. There you go. Let's have them make their case to the Democratic Party and the American people. Delegates can all vote. And we can peacefully and with excitement and purpose nominate a Democrat to run against most likely Trump. It would be the greatest commercial you could ever have. You don't have to go through all that primary bullshit if you're one of these five guys. No. Go to the convention. Make your case to the delegates. And in one damn night, we find out who our nominee is. How This would be the most watched convention of all time. DNC, the momentum out of this. We could show the American people. Biden could show the American people. Look at I stood down. I stood down for the betterment of my party and for the betterment of my country. I was too old. Hey, I understand. I understand. We don't need senior citizen politicians. Okay. And then Biden, Biden could show the country what, 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 you know, something bigger than himself. Because Trump can't do that. And then we can have five candidates Go up there, give the best spiel they possibly can without shitting on each other, crapping all over each other, and we could vote. And we could come out of that 
Democratic National Committee, excuse me, Democratic National Convention, as united as possible, with excitement, like a tidal wave. This DNC, this is the commercial of a lifetime. Five candidates, one night, one nominee. It, it might rival the fucking Super Bowl. It might rival the Super Bowl. Meanwhile, Trump's over there doing the, he's at the RNC, standing up, talking like, like, like he's governing over Gotham City. Come on, DNC. Come on, Democrats. I swear to God, I'll leave the party. I swear to God, I'll leave the fucking party. I'll go independent. I'll go independent. We cannot afford to run Biden against Trump. It's that simple. So, all right. All right. You know, I, I, had, a, I had an old college roommate, a good old buddy of mine named Brian. Name Brian. Call Mike. And he used to preach to me. And everybody with an earshot that life was about angles. It's about angles in sports. It's about angles in politics. It's about angles when you deal with your wife. It's about angles when you deal with your kids. It's angles at work, how you get the promotion. Life is about angles, like you used to say. And my initiative 15, it's very similar. What is your angle? What is your approach? You're going to do 15, you're going to take 15% and you're going to do what with it? What angle are you, how are you going to angle this? I'll tell you, me, me. I haven't been always so sweet. I, you, I, hey, I listened to Sean Hannity and Bill O'Reilly and I read, you know, conservative books and all this because when I got into arguments with conservatives and Republicans, I wanted to win. I wanted to tear your fucking face off. Okay, I wanted to know exactly where you were going before before you even went there because I've heard all the talking points. I wanted to know. My angle now, I'm done fighting. I'm done. I got in a I got in a political you know uh, back and forth with um, a father, and uh, th that I'd never talked politics with. That I'd coached his son for many years, and this was several years ago, and it felt awful. Both of our, our blood, our, both of us had our blood boiling. It was awful. And so, you know, my fifteen percent on Initiative Fifteen, my angle is, I'm going to be fifteen percent more civil. I will not engage in politics of hate, or I will not. I'm not going to get in fights with people. I will not do it. I want to understand people. That is my angle with Initiative Fifteen. What is your angle? What are you going to do 15% better for this country? Okay? Life is about angles. I appreciate it, Ike. Thanks for reminding me. Life is about angles. What is your angle? And it's not, hey, they're everywhere. Angles are everywhere. How are you going to use them? So that, I believe, is episode 15. Excuse me. That's initiative 15. This is episode 35 I got to get the heck out of here. I got stuff to do. Like always, I love you. Talk to you.